I'm excited. Man, worship was so, so good today. Um, before we get started, I just want to welcome, you know, that was, was that a real, was that a ring or was that a person whistling? That was amazing. <laughs> I thought that was someone actually whistling. I'm like, that, you are, you've got a gift, sir. Um, I just want to take a moment and welcome, we've got people in our student center right now, Ed and Kelly Beecher, David and Terry Baird, Lisa Markle, um, the Brackens, Wes and Carolyn Mills, sorry about that, and um, and then online, we've got uh, Carol, Jim Ouellette, Amanda Rodriguez, Nancy Cambrola, Helen Pendleton, and so many people more. We had someone from Oklahoma there this morning uh, at 8 a.m. And so um, God is just uh, just doing uh, a different work in, in our day, and um, it looks different than, than it did six months ago, nine months ago. Um, so anyway, as we get started here, we've been in a... a, a a sermon series going through the book of first peter and i think this is like our sixth or seventh week in it um there have been times i'll be honest there have been times through this sermon series that i was like why lord why first peter like this was this was a rough a rough um scripture you know two weeks ago we we're talking about how we're supposed to respond to unjust authorities human authority in our life which hits a little too close to home right now um, at least for me. Um, and, then, and then last week, if, if you are married or plan to be married or want to stay married, then he talked about um, the whole, these kind of like advice for, for husbands and wives. And it was powerful if we kind of take to heart what it, what it was that he was communicating to us. And so um, if you missed that last week, tune in and you can catch that. Um, but here's the thing that I was, I was thinking about as we're going through this, this letter together. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is kind of this prophecy. And um, Paul writes, For the time will come, and I would say is now, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And um, it's true. I mean... Essentially, what, what he's saying is there will come a day in the last days, which I would say we're living in the last days, at least we're closer than we were yesterday, um, that, that we, will choose sound, uh, we will choose to trade sound teaching for what sounds good. And, um, and that's a temptation, I think, in all of us. The hard part of growing in God is not asking the question, what is, um, what's desirable? The, the hard part of growing in God is asking the question, like, what is more beneficial? And whether I, don't, whether I like it or not. And what I found is that as, as we look at the Word of God, if I accept only what I like from the Word of God and reject what I don't like, then it really isn't the Bible that I believe. It's myself. And, and, and part of what I love, hate about going through a book of the Bible is that we're forced to be confronted with parts of the Bible that we don't necessarily like and are difficult and hard and point a little bit too close to home. And so... Um, as we get started here today, I pray that there would be more of God and less of me, right? I pray there'd be more of God and less of you, that we would grow deeper and deeper in, in line with, with the Holy Spirit. So if you're in one of our in-person experiences, or maybe you're home, look, I'd love you to join with me and stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 8. That's where we're going to pick up. Um, it's kind of this like summation of all the things we've been talking about over the past 
two, three weeks, right? Like, okay, this is how you deal with, with unjust human authority. This is how you deal with unruly masters or bosses. And this is how you deal with imperfect spouses. He kind of goes through this whole thing. And then he's like, finally, in summation, he says, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what's right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in, the, in, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for the sins of the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring, to, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And so, Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that, um, that you speak to us regardless if it's easy. And, and we don't ask for what's easy or comfortable or desirable. We ask for what's beneficial, that you'd grow us and so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of each and every single individual in the sound of my voice. God, that your Holy Spirit would change us and break us, that it would mold us and make us into something that looks a whole lot more like you than me. And God, I, I pray that you'd speak to your people clearly and we walk in obedience to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So we're going to kind of walk down through, if you've got your Bible or you've got your version app or whatever, just kind of keep that open to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to walk down through it together and, um, and see what, what God might have for you today. In verse 8, he literally says, and I said this in the beginning, he says, like, finally, all of you, in, in summation, let's, let's kind of take a look at what he's been talking about over the past, like, well, for us, three weeks, right? We've been, we've been going through some pretty difficult times of like how we're supposed to respond to culture and in our jobs and in closest relationships like marriage. And, and then he lists like these, these different things that we're supposed to be and to become. And it's just like kind of a list. He kind of goes through these really quickly. And I just want to go through them. I, I'm just going to get in and get out and hit on each one of these. He says, the first thing he says is be like-minded. Be like-minded. Another translation says, and maybe you're reading it, is like be in unity of mind. Unity is not uniformity. It doesn't mean that you're going to agree on everything. It doesn't mean that you and I even agree on everything. Uniformity is a cult. But, but unity of mind is when we decide that despite our differences and our diversity, we're choosing to walk in cooperation. In other words, it's like, it's this reality, I think he's saying in, in the body of Christ, is that we're going to cooperate in the midst of it, and we know that a house divided against itself cannot stand. So, when he says be like-minded, he's like, make a conscious choice to walk in unity. Because the temptation is to not. The temptation is to walk in dissension and division and opposition because that's kind of the flavor of the day. And, and he's like, be like-minded. 
In other words, you need to be and to become this. It's something that we, that we work at. It's not a gift of the Spirit, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are given. The fruit of the Spirit is cultivated. And he's saying, cultivate these things in you. Be like-minded. The second thing he says is this. Be sympathetic. You've heard this before, probably, if you've read any leadership books, is this, this reality that like people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And never a time is that even more truer than in today's age. And I've been thinking about this, is that like, did you know that you can, you know, if we're not careful, we can become so busy to win arguments for God that we forget that we're called to win people to God. And in a day where arguing is the, the thing to do, we can very quickly get off message and off purpose by thinking that we need to win arguments for him rather than winning souls to him. Because it truly is at the end of the day, at the end of, the, of our lives, the only thing that saves us is Jesus. We just sang about it. He's a name above all names. There's something about that name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Amen? So it's just keep that in front of us. He says, be like-minded. He says, be, be sympathetic. And the, the, the third one thing he says is love one another. Did you know that you can love someone and not like them? <laughs> if, you, if you have a family, you understand this. If you're married, if you have kids, you understand that you can love someone and not like them. On any given day, my, my kids could probably tell you that, yes, I love my father. I'm not liking him right now because... I'm saying no to things that they wish I would say yes to. But that's a reality. Like, and I think it's important for us to realize that, that when, when he says love one another, loving someone is an act of the will. Liking someone is a feeling. It's an emotion that goes up and down based upon their stupidity, right? Like, like you know, liking someone is intermittent. It kind of goes back and forth depending on the decisions that you're making, the way that you're acting, the way that you're treating me. I can maybe not like you or maybe even right now you're not liking me, but the reality is he says love one another because why? Because love is a decision. Love is a conscious choice. Love is an act. It's a, it's a conscious desire to say I, I will choose to love even if I don't like. How do we know this is even a, a possibility? We know it because Jesus told us one thing. He said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do you like your enemies? Heck no. I've never heard anyone say, you know, I just really like my enemy right now, don't you? I mean, that's such a fine, fine guy. What, he's such a great, I, I really like my, no, because you wouldn't say that, they wouldn't be your enemy. You, you never, you're going to say, I like my enemy. If, if you said that, then you'd be like, well, I guess, you, I guess they made up. They're no longer enemies. But he's saying you can, you can love your enemy even if, you, even if you don't like them. We're to love one another just as God loved us when we were enemies to him. And he says love one another. The fourth thing he says is be compassionate. This is an interesting one. I, I think I preached about this like, I don't know, six, nine months ago. Pre-COVID, that's kind of how I judge things now. Pre-COVID, post-COVID, or in COVID. I don't know. Um, this, this word compassionate is the Greek word splachnon. And uh, we talked about Jesus having compassion and, and having his, his compassion is what moved him to do things. It's this word when he says, be compassionate. If you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, this is what, literally what the definition says. 
having strong bowels. I kid you not. I looked it up. I was like, oh, come on. This is too good. Every junior high boy is like, oh, this is awesome, right? Essentially, like, you literally, you know, maybe you could look to the person next to you and just say, I have strong bowels for you. It'd be a good pickup line for you. I'm just telling you, hey, sweetie, I got some strong bowels for you. You want to go on a date? You're welcome ahead of time. Let me know how that goes. Like, it's kind of this odd thing that, that we find in the Bible of, of, of having strong bowels for something. Essentially what it's communicating is that this, this sense or feeling, and if you know it to be true, then the Holy Spirit has done something on the inside of you, and it doesn't come here. It's not this logical, rational, oh, this is the good thing that I should do. It comes from here, which is in your gut, where you get this, like, I can't help myself but to act. It's more than a feeling. It's something that, that compels you to do something about it. And we read all throughout Scripture, they say Jesus was moved with compassion, right? He was moved with compassion, and then he healed the sick. He was moved with compassion, and he fed the hungry. Like, there is something about this compassion that Peter's talking about, that he's calling out in, the, uh, in believers. He's like, you need to get this. If you're lacking this right now, you need to ask God, God, I need you to give me compassion for people compassion for the lost, not just about loving people, not just about being considerate and honoring. He's saying, give me a heart for the lost because Jesus' compassion caused him to heal the sick and feed the hungry and, and embrace the lost to, to bring freedom to the captives. God, give me strong bowels for people. <laughs> it's weird. And then he continues. He says, um, the last thing he says is be humble. Be humble. A humble mind. A humble mind is kind of this, this idea that you could be wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's not likely. But, like, there's a very small possibility that there could be something that you consider that you think is right that actually could be wrong. Humility is kind of what Jamie was, was saying and prophesying up here is that this, this idea that you aren't really enough. Like, you don't really have what it takes. In fact, you actually need God to be able to fulfill that which God is calling you to do. You can't do it on your own. Whether that's moving with compassion or choosing to love somebody even though they aren't very lovable. He says, be humble. And I think the world could use a good dose of this. It would look weird if you, were, if you walked in humility in the midst of pride. Being humble means that I may disagree with you, and in the end, we may not agree on something. We have, have our own opinions, but regardless, it doesn't determine whether I, cheat, whether I treat you with dignity, value, and worth. So it doesn't matter if you're on the other side of a political spectrum. I choose to value you. I choose to give you dignity and worth. I choose to honor you. The same honor that Christ gave me. And then he continues in verse 9, follow along with me. This is where it gets a little weird, and quite honestly, we like how it sounds, but it really, really stinks in real life. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, catch this, repay evil with blessing. <laughs> so think this through with me. It, it, as Christians, we have like one of three levels that we can live within. Um, in how we act and repay people. The first one is, and this is just real, um, none of us probably do this, but we've witnessed it and had it done to us, which is 
kind of the, de the demonic way of repaying people, which is when you repay blessing with evil. So somebody tries to bless you, they try to be nice to you, and uh, they're trying to pray for you, and then you get repaid with evil, right? It's kind of just, it really doesn't make sense, but it's very, it's a demonic way of doing things. It doesn't matter kind of what you do. You, you, you try to encourage, you try to do something, you try to care, you try to whatever, and then you get repaid with evil when you were trying to bless. It's a dem demonic way of repaying people. And then the second one is the human level. And this is the one that we all kind of live within. It's normal. We even see this in the day. You don't have to be a Christian to live within this. And this is when you repay evil with evil or blessing with blessing. This is like, hey, you like me, I like you. You, you say nice things to me, uh, I'll say nice things to you. You stroke my back, I'll stroke yours. You punch me, I will punch you too. So it's, it's very easy, it's very human to kind of just react to people that way. Like, man, you really think that I'm, 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 a, I'm a great guy? I think you're great too then. Uh, you you want to you back talk to me and you want to you you know, talk behind my back? I'll talk behind yours. It's a human way of, of repaying people. And the third thing is, this is what Peter is, is talking about, and quite honestly, it flies in the face of the other two, and it doesn't even make equitable sense. And it's the divine level where he says, you're supposed to repay evil with blessing. Sorry. So, 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 so you're saying that people that insult me, I'm supposed to bless them? So, so if they do evil towards me, I'm supposed to... What? It is, it, it, there's no equity in it. It seems absolutely crazy. Why in the world would I choose when somebody insults me to pray for them? Why would I choose to, when they do evil towards me, to, to, to bless them? It, um, it's crazy. Why would I do it? Verse 9, he continues in the second part of verse 9. He says, because. He's answering the question for you. He says, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. First of all, he's saying, hey, Christian, you, you were called to this. Like, this is part of, of, of who you are as, as a Christian. And not only that, here's the crazy weird thing, that it comes with a promise. He says, if you keep on doing good, even in the face of evil, when you choose to bless, even though evil is coming at you, you will inherit a blessing. Essentially, when you give to others what they don't deserve, you inherit what you don't deserve. This crazy, weird way of, of, of living life. And when you bless those who don't deserve it, you literally are doing to others what God has done for you. And in God's economy, I want you to grasp this, because I think that this is one of those things that like, we like reading about it and saying, hallelujah, amen, that sounds great. But in real life, it doesn't even make sense. And there's something hidden. There's kind of this treasure hidden in the word of God that is a, that is a truth hidden in the word of God, that when we choose to walk in it in obedience to it, we find that there is an inheritance, a possession of something that we didn't even know was available to us. He says, essentially, in God's economy, when we repay evil with blessing, we inherit or possess that which is available to us in Christ. And it doesn't make sense. But sometimes, the only way that we grow the only way that we grow is to walk in obedience to that which doesn't make sense. I very rarely have God call me to something that I want to do. <laughs> very rarely is he like, hey, I just want to call you to something that, you, that is fun and you enjoy and this is, you know, you'd do it anyway. Now, normally it's something that I necessarily don't want to do, but it's the very thing that he's called me to do. And it doesn't make sense logically 
but yet I know that in order to grow, I've got to walk in obedience to it. It's this weird thing. It's kind of like, and, and you, you know this to be true. If you've been walking with the Lord for a while, so if you're, if you're a giver, right, you, you tithe or you, you give offerings, there's this reality that it doesn't make sense. Like, if I give, that means I have less for me. And God's like, no, when you give, then there's a blessing in return. And you're like, yeah, I don't know, because I'm, I'm looking at this. I've got $100, and I give away 10 I have $90 now. Where's my blessing? I don't see the blessing. And that yet, those of you who chose to walk in obedience to that, you realize that there's like this weird way of walking in an inheritance when I walk in obedience to that which doesn't make sense. We do this when we forgive people. It's like, I, this, why, why would I ever forgive this guy? If I forgive them, he's essentially getting away with something. So if I release him, then, 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 then there's no equity in this universe, right? And yet those of you who have chosen to forgive and are walking in forgiveness, you realize that you set someone free and you realized it was you. There's this crazy reality that happens when we choose to walk in obedience and forgiveness. Or how about serving? Why would I ever do something for free? Why, why, that makes no sense. Why would I work for free? And yet there's something when we know that we're walking and serving in the area that the Lord has, has called us into, that we are walking in an inheritance, we are walking in an anointing that we never would have walked in if all we did was for money. He says, serve. And then he has this thing that we repay evil with blessing. It's not even fair. And sometimes I wonder if that God... God calls us to treat others in ways that they don't deserve in order to break pride that wants to tell us that we deserve everything that God's given us. He's continually reminding us, like, you don't have what it takes. You actually need me. When our pride wants to say, I got this. I got it from here. Thank you very much. And he continues in, in verse 10. I love how, how this... Uh, this quotation he says for whoever would love life and see good days can we just pause there for a second and just rest in that think about that whoever would love life and see good days doesn't that sound good i would love like to, to be able to love life and see good days who wouldn't want that who wouldn't want to be able to love life and see good days? In fact, as we look around at, at our world today, it's very difficult to love life and see good days. You just turn on the news and you're like, another bad day. And I'm not really loving life right now because it's, it's this weird place that we're in. He says, so how do you love life and see good days? A few things, four things. He says, the first thing is essentially deliberately decide to focus on it. You've got to deliberately decide to focus on loving life and seeing good days. Let me just tell you, it is way too easy to hate life and see bad days. Way too easy. It is like, I mean, that takes absolutely no effort. You could just wake up in the morning. Look at, I turned 40. I turned 40. I'm 41 now. I just turned 41. Let me just tell you, there are some nights, there are some mornings I wake up and I'm like, what happened? I hurt everywhere like i'm my back's hurting my knees hurting like i didn't do anything i slept through the night but there's a reality that you have to deliberately choose to decide to focus on loving life and seeing good days because the world around you doesn't necessarily help you with this it says focus in on this focus in on loving life and seeing good days 
And I want, you to, I want you to see this, like, essentially you have to focus on, whatever you focus on will determine what you see. Because don't forget what Peter is writing to, who he's writing to. He's writing to these group of people, we talked about this the first couple weeks, these people that are resident aliens. They're, they're, they're alone, they're, they're persecuted, they are ostracized, and they're under an emperor, remember Nero, that was really creative at torturing Christians. He would dip them in tar and light them up for his dinner parties. I mean, he didn't make Christianity a popular thing to be. It was actually a liability to living. And these are the people that he's writing to, saying like, you want to love life and see good days? How? In the midst of all this? He, he goes through and he says this, the first thing, I love it. He says, verse 10, they must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from de- deceitful speech. Essentially, number two is this. Control your tongue. <laughs> you want to love life and see good days? Get a hold of this thing. Control your tongue. Psalm 141 verse 3 says, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Essentially, God, give me a muzzle. Can I have a sensor button, please? Can, 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 can you guard my mouth and, and, and put a guard over my lips? And, and, and I think in today's age where not everything is spoken, but a lot is texted and emailed and posted and reposted, I think that maybe it's like this, you know, if, it's, if we're to bring this into modern day, it's like, Lord, set a guard over my thumbs. Set a guard over that, that me clicking send on, on that email. Have you, ever, have you ever posted something or emailed or texted and literally wished that there was an undo button where you're like, no, 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 oh no, oh no. Like you literally send it. Sometimes it's a day later, sometimes it's a minute later, sometimes it's literally as soon as you hit send, you're like, I wish I could take that back. But you can't. He's like, put a guard over your mouth. Control, control your tongue. If you, essentially, if you want to guard your heart, start with controlling your tongue. Hmm. I'll move on, sorry. Number three. That's a tough one. Number three, he says, essentially, do good and hate evil. Verse 11, he says, they must turn from evil and do good. Essentially, remember, he's saying, do you want to love, love life and see good days? Well, then turn from evil and do good. That word that it says, like, turn from, like, turn from evil, it doesn't mean, like, ah, I'm going to try to avoid evil. Ah, I'm going to, like, give it my best shot. Ah, I don't know, like, you, yeah, you want to you, you smoke? Ah, I'm, uh, I'm trying to stay away from it. Like, it's, that's not at all the, the connotation of what he's saying when he says, turn from essentially the, the the word means to shun not just to go not just to try to avoid but to go out of your way to avoid something go out of your way to avoid it and i wonder i wonder if the reason why we end up struggling with the same sin over and over and over and over and over and over and over again is not because we're not trying to avoid it it's because we're unwilling to go out of our way to avoid it He says, go out of your way to avoid it. He says, we're to hate evil, shun sin. In other words, honestly, it's really hard to hate something that you enjoy, isn't it? Let's just face it, like sin, it feels good. I mean, it's, sin is enjoyable, it's fun. If, if, we wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. 
If you're, if you're sinning and it's not fun, just cut it out. That's weird. Like, it, we, the only reason we do the, the sin that we partake in is because there's some sort of satisfying effect, like, or else we, we, we certainly wouldn't do it. And, and I, was, I was thinking about this, like, what, what would happen? What would happen if the moment that we choose to walk in sin or, or to com- commit evil, that, um, that we got the bill that came due with it? Because here's what I know. Sin is really fun until the bill comes due. And sooner or later, the bill always comes due. Like, like, what would it look like if, let's just take one that, you know, is pretty prevalent in our society right now, pornography. What, it would, look, what would it look like if, um, at the moment of you wanting to click on that website, that the bill came due? And the bill was like, okay, so uh, just so you know, go ahead and click on that, but, uh, but it's going to be, a, a, you know, the cost is going to be a, a slow degradation of the intimacy in your marriage. Um, there's going to be a lot of shame, regret, and um, probably some distancing from God. Um, no thanks I'm okay then because I wonder if if we knew and and took into consideration the bill that was going to come due wasn't worth the cost of the sin of the click he says go out of your way to avoid it go out of your way to avoid it Um, he's saying essentially I, I, I love this. If you want to love life and see good days, never go in debt to the devil. Let me say that again. If you want to love life and see good days, never go in debt to the devil. And then he goes on. Number four, he says, seek and pursue peace. In verse 11, this is what he says. They must seek and pursue peace. Seek peace and pursue it. In other words, you, you, you want to see, love life and see good days? You must seek peace and, and pursue it. In other words, go out of your way to seek peace and chase it down if you have to. Don't just look for it, like chase it down. He says, pursue it, go after it. Romans twelve eighteen says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So Paul's essentially saying, like, I understand that it may not be possible. I understand that, like, living at peace with everyone and seeking and pursuing peace may not always end in that happening. But he says, as far as it depends on you, run after it. Go after it. And then he reminds us of what we have available in Christ. He says in verse 13, who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Just, Just take a look at verse 14. He says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Can we just take a look at that for a second? Because I I, I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. Because I'm like, hold on. Um, I, I was under the assumption, maybe wrongfully or rightfully so, that there is some sort of like equity in the universe. And so um, if I'm doing right, then I'm blessed. And that doesn't mean that I'm suffering. In fact, if I choose to do the right thing, and I choose to walk in obedience, and I choose to, you know, I'm honoring God, then what, why would I suffer? Because I look at it as like suffering means that I did something wrong. Suffering means something's not right, and Satan is winning. And yet, he's saying, if you, even if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. In other words, you can still be blessed even in the middle of a mess. 
And I want to speak that out over us as a congregation. Even in the midst of what is going on in our world around us, you can still be blessed even in the middle of a mess. Even in the middle of suffering, even in the middle of all of this stuff, even in the midst of suffering, you can still be blessed. Because why? Because if you fear God, then you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear if you fear God. Romans 8, 31 says, if if God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, when you are rooted in the acceptance of God, then the fear of man loses its hold on you. When you're rooted in the acceptance of God, then the fear of man loses its hold. Which means that you can walk through a mess and still love life and see good days. Which means you can turn, you can go, you could leave here, you could turn on Fox News, CNN, CBS News, whatever you want to, and you could still love life and see good days even in the midst of bad news and not so great of a day. He's like, you focus in on that. You want to see good news? You, you, want, you, want, to, you want to love life and all of this? You're going to have to focus on it. And when you fear me, then you have nothing else to fear. So in the, even in the midst of bad news, you can have a good day. And he continues in verse 15. He says, but in, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And then this, this, this portion of scripture that I've always loved. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Let me read it again to you. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Let me tell you, I used to think that this meant like you need to study apologetics. You need to be ready to like, you know, defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to, you know, get, get a hold of that video and watch Kirk Cameron and the way of the master so that you're ready to go after anybody and anyone and talk about the judge and the jury and all these things so you can win them over to Jesus. What if, what if in this day and age, in our postmodern, post-Christian world, the way that to evangelize people isn't necessarily to answer a question that they're not asking? What if the way of evangelism, especially in this postmodern, post-Christian world, is to actually answer the question that they are asking? And this is what it comes down to. Are you living in such a way that they would even ask that question? Are you living in such a way that people around you, your coworkers, your family members, your unsaved friends would say, look it, I don't even understand. How in the world are you walking in such hope right now? Do you not watch the news? Why are you loving life and seeing good days? Did you not see what happened to RGB pass and all these things are going on? Are you not aware? How in the world can you be so generous right now when everybody else is hoarding toilet paper? How can you do this? How, how, can, you, how can you honestly like, have, have, this, have this, this good day even in the midst of a political firestorm and a pandemic. Like, I don't, I don't understand how you can be loving life and seeing good days. And he, this is what Peter says. Be prepared to give an answer for that. And before that, be prepared to live a life that would cause people to question that. Because in Christ, you can turn a miserable experience into a ministry opportunity. And this is the hard part of kind of what Peter is, is speaking to us right now because it's like, he doesn't remove suffering. In fact, he's like, look, everyone, your suffering just may be the best moment you have to point people to Jesus. And I'm like, surely there's got to be a better moment. 
Like, I'm trying to just get out of suffering. I don't like pain. I don't like anything. And he's like, it may just be your best moment to point people to Jesus. Because anybody can be happy when things are going good. Anybody. You don't have to believe in Jesus to be happy when I got a raise. I, duh, of course you'd be happy. What sets you apart, what makes you weird is when you have joy even in the midst when things not going well and when everyone else around us is hating life and seeing bad days. I just want to leave you with a couple questions. Like when was the last time that somebody asked you for the reason of your hope when everybody else seemed hopeless? When was the reason that, that somebody else asked you why you're so generous when everybody else is hoarding? When was the last time that somebody asked you why you were so kind to people that don't really deserve it and are unkind to you? Because I think that as we move forward in our day, effective evangelism isn't going to be preaching a good sermon or putting a gospel tract on the back of a toilet or working the cube. I think it's actually going to be living a life in front of people that would cause them to ask, why are you so weird? You're a weirdo, but I like it and I want it. Can you tell me why you have so much hope? And then it's easy. Why? Because you're not answering a question they're not asking. You're answering a question they are. And they're ready to receive it. Why don't you stand with me? He says in, um, in verse 16, I want to I read this in the message paraphrase because I absolutely love how, he, how Eugene Peterson writes this. He says this, um, verse 16 says, keep a clear conscience before God so that when people throw mud at you, none of it will stick. They'll end up realizing that they're the ones who need a bath. Wouldn't that be good? Put that on a mug and sell it, right? I mean, what, how true is that? Like, he's saying, like, when you are able to love life and, and, and see good days, when you walk in humility, when you walk in compassion, when you walk in all of these things that he's outlining for us, he's like, you will have a clear conscience. In other words, it doesn't really matter what other people might want to do, because guess what? They will throw mud, and sometimes it's, they've dug up your own dirt to throw it back at you. But when you walk in humility and when you walk in what it is that Peter's outlining in such a way that people would ask for your hope, then it doesn't stick to you. And they realize they're the ones who need a bath. Because in Christ, there is, there's a peace that is within us so that we're able to face the, the war, the battles that are without us. And that only comes through having a clear conscience and a peace that is much bigger than ourselves much deeper than what the news has to say. Verse 17, in ending, he says this, for it is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And there's this last point that I, I just feel I, I felt this in, in both of our services when I was even just putting pen to paper about this, is that I just feel like this is going to set some people free. And, and 
and I want to say that this is probably the most encouraging thing you never wanted to hear. <laughs> okay? And I think we're, we, we see it in verse 17 and verse 18, and it's this. Just because you're suffering doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. I just think there's some people that actually need to, need to grab a hold of that and realize that in your doing good, just because you're going through suffering, just because people are repaying your blessing with evil doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing anything wrong. Maybe it does, but I'm just telling you, there's this reality that suffering sometimes happens through our own doing good as a consequence of living in a broken world. And this is why Peter says, just walk in humility with a clear conscience before God. Because you can be doing everything right and still be going through suffering. Like I said, it's the, the most encouraging message you never wanted to hear. But there's a, I hope there's freedom in that for you. We, we sing this song that says, God, you're so good. Uh, I love this song. And I want to just read a portion of the, of the, of the words of it. It says, and, and should this life bring suffering, Lord, I will remember what Calvary has bought for me, both now and forever. Lord Jesus, may we realize that the freedom, the inheritance that you've called us to walk in and to possess is not just for the sweet by and by when one day we meet our maker and we go up to the pearly gates and St. Peter is up there with his little, little, little pad letting us know if we're in or we're out. It is for today that the freedom, the empowerment that, that the Holy Spirit gives us isn't just so that we can just do whatever the heck we want to do. It's so that we're empowered to do what we ought to do. And so, Lord, I just pray that this peace, this knowing on the inside of our knower, that, God, we would walk with a clear conscience as we choose to walk in humility and to love one another, as we choose to to put down and walk like-minded together. God, I pray that we would be weird, that we would walk in such a way that we would love life and see good days that people around us would say, I don't understand how that's even possible. Can you give me a reason for that? <laughs> Glad you asked. Lord God, I pray that as we, as we worship you today, we put down all of the things, we put down all of the word curses, we put down all of the evil done to us. Lord Jesus, that goes at the feet of you. And God, we lift your name up high. If there is truly no other name under heaven through which men can be saved, if there truly is no other name that, that through men, every, every man will, will, will bow their knee. And Lord Jesus, then we lift you up high above our name. God, we worship you today. Help us in a day where bad news is around every corner to love life and see good days. Jesus, we lift you up even in the midst of it. We lift you up. We we worship you, God. We keep our eyes fixed and focused on you. Lord Jesus, have your way. Have your way in us. Let's worship together, church.